You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. When looking at cholesterol problems in children and adolescents, how high do factors like genetics and obesity rank? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Mary McGowan, Director of the Cholesterol Treatment Center at Concord Hospital. She is a member of the New Hampshire Childhood Obesity Expert Panel and Assistant Professor of Medicine at University of Massachusetts Medical Center. Dr. McGowan has authored two books, Heart Fitness for Life and 50 Ways to Lower Your Cholesterol. Welcome to the show, Dr. McGowan. Thank you very much for having me, Larry. I would imagine that we are seeing epidemics in terms of cholesterol problems with kids and adolescents. What's going on? Well, we still see cholesterol abnormalities related to genetics, and that really has been pretty consistent. That hasn't changed in my 15-year career in uh, treating dyslipidemias. But what we have seen is a substantial increase in cholesterol abnormalities in children and adolescents associated with lifestyle abnormalities. To be honest, children still have bodies that are very forgiving. And so surprisingly, there are many very overweight kids who don't have cholesterol abnormalities. But since we're a referral center, we see lots and lots of cholesterol abnormalities related to the obesity epidemic that we're now seeing. Are pediatricians checking cholesterol more than they used to? I think they are. I think that there are several things that have pushed that along. One has been the the recent publication in April 2007 in in circulation of a sort of an updated set of guidelines for drug therapy of lipid abnormalities in youth. And I think in looking at that, there are some updated guidelines on who we should screen, not just kids who have a family history of cardiovascular disease anymore or a family history of cholesterol abnormalities, but also kids who are overweight, who are obese, who have other disorders that may put them at risk for a dyslipidemia. For example, smoking can lower the HDL. Dr. McGowan, can you share a little with our audience what kind of numbers are are normal in a newborn and in a child? You know, what kind of LDLs are we brought into this world with? We're brought into the world with extremely low cholesterols. A total cholesterol of about 70. Triglycerides may hover around 30. HDL, 35. LDL, 30. So it's the only time in our life when the HDL is actually higher than the LDL. But very quickly over the first couple of years of life, we'll see an increase in cholesterol, and then the levels that kids are going to hover at for most of their childhood are reached. And we typically use a goal for total cholesterol for children less than 170. We look at a triglyceride goal of less than 100. We look at an LDL goal of less than 110, and ideally lower is better, and an HDL of greater than 45 as being normal. Do the cholesterol levels that we see in kids stay steady, or are they kind of exponentially raising as their waist size increase? They may increase substantially in certain children as they get overweight, but there are particular times in childhood when cholesterol values change. So, for example, as boys go through puberty, their HDL falls by about 8 to 10 milligrams per deciliter. That actually sets the stage for earlier cardiovascular disease in men than in women. And there's also a period of time during adolescence when all cholesterol values in both boys and girls, the total, the LDL, and the triglycerides dip for a period of time. It's kind of a transient period of time. So 
it may be deceptive. You may see a, a drop in cholesterol, and, and you think it's related to lifestyle changes. But in fact, at puberty, for both boys and girls, the LDL and triglycerides may fall, and then it's only boys where the HDL falls substantially at puberty. It never, never climbs back up. We tend to think of cardiac disease as something that begins in in patients when they're in their 40s and 50s and 60s, and I think by then it's already too late to prevent the disease. And uh, I was wondering if you could just kind of open our eyes a little bit in terms of that we actually do see cardiac disease beginning in childhood and what kind of proof you have for that. When you think about cardiovascular disease, people seem to think that, you know, when you have your heart attack at 45, that's when you develop it. But, you know, we were actually working on it our whole life. And as early as 1953, Enos and colleagues found a high frequency of advanced coronary lesions in U.S. soldiers, you know, average age 20, killed in the Korean War. Holman and McGill in 58 reported aortic fatty streaks kids in the United States as early as the age of three. Strong and McGill in 1962 reported coronary fatty streaks by early adolescence. Ernie Schaefer and colleagues were the first to report in 1984, so actually not that long ago, premature cardiovascular disease in children with familial hypercholesterolemia, in young people with familial hypercholesterolemia. If we look at the Bogalusa Heart Study, which was a study looking at children in Bogalusa, Louisiana, where they screened lots and lots of children, and then subsequently some of these kids died in car accidents and things like that, and they found that aortic fatty streaks were strongly correlated with antemortem total and LDL levels. So we have a lot of evidence that we initiate our coronary artery disease in childhood. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm talking today with Dr. Mary McGowan. She is the director of the Cholesterol Treatment Center at Concord Hospital. We're talking about the fact that coronary artery disease begins much earlier than you think. Mary, has anybody looked at the other side in terms of, let's say, in the Korean conflict, at the other soldiers from other societies or cultures if they had the same amount of disease as we did? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you that if you look at people that have familial hypercholesterolemia and they are in other societies they don't have cholesterol values as elevated as we do in the United States. So the same genetic defect, but yet lower lipid levels. So I think that that indicates that in the United States, it's not just your genetic predisposition, but it's, it's also the fact that we have pretty poor diets in the United States. When we look at adults, 70% of the adult population is either overweight or obese, and that clearly influences our lipids. What kind of problems are you seeing in the pediatric population? Are there are there certain diseases that can that can actually cause elevated cholesterol or lead to early atherosclerosis besides just high cholesterol? We do know that many kids, young women who use birth control pills, may have increased cholesterol levels. There are certain other diseases like diabetes. I'm not talking so much about type 1 diabetics, although they can have dyslipidemias, but type 2 diabetics in childhood can have significant elevations in triglycerides, depressed HDL, and small, dense LDL, which is highly atherogenic. 
Kids who have HIV who are on protease inhibitors, kids who have lupus tend to have elevated triglycerides. Kids who have had organ transplantations, again, it's related to some of the immunosuppressives that they would use. Interestingly, one group of people that you might not think of, and we tend to see them in the adult population, are kids who have survived certain childhood cancers, for example, Hodgkin's disease. And Hodgkin's disease, even if you try your best, you're still going to get scatter radiation. And if they've gotten XRT, they can have very early atherosclerosis. And for people with Hodgkin's disease that come to us, we use an LDL goal of less than 100 and even lower for those survivors of Hodgkin's disease. Because if you look at Hodgkin's, people who survive Hodgkin's will die of cardiac disease. So we have to be aware of of those things. That's good to know. I mean, I'm definitely going to have a lower threshold for looking at my patients who have survived Hodgkin's and definitely look for heart disease at an earlier age. Mary, I know a new set of guidelines has just been published a few months ago in circulation. Can you go over those guidelines and how they differ from the last set of guidelines? The guidelines were, in my opinion, a huge step forward. Previous guidelines had recommended if you're going to use drug therapy in a child, it should be a bile acid sequestrant. And and I can tell you from personal experience in my clinic that children will just not take bile acid sequestrants. So you're sort of beating your head against the wall. There have been multiple studies utilizing statins in kids, and it is good to have a document that says if a drug is used, a statin is a first-line therapy for kids. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be putting all kids on statins and that children who are obese should be put on statins if they have a high LDL. The first treatment for those kids would be lifestyle changes. But kids with familial hypercholesterolemia, if their LDL remains above 160, with lifestyle therapy, they should be on a drug. We do need to be cautious with, for example, young women. There have now been two cases of short limb syndrome reported in children born to young women who have used statins during their first trimester of pregnancy, so we do need to be careful with that. But clearly statins can be used in children. And the other thing that these guidelines suggest is that in addition to a family history of cardiac disease or a family history of dyslipidemia, Certain things should trigger a full lipid profile in children. For example, if they're overweight or obese, they should have a full lipid profile. And we use 160 as the target, you know, to start initiating drug therapy if the LDL stays above 160. But there's certain things that may make us initiate drug therapy even earlier a very strong family history. For example, if somebody has a parent who had a cardiac event in their 20s, children who not only have high LDL but have a low HDL or very high triglycerides, kids who are smokers or exposed to passive smoking, and some of the things that we talked about earlier, you know, kids who are have HIV or have diabetes maybe should be treated at a lower LDL, people who have hypertension, kids who have hypertension. And then there are lots of emerging risk factors. If a child has a very high lipoprotein little a, and this is a, a genetic lipoprotein that tends to go along with familial hypercholesterolemia, a child who has a high LP little a, we maybe want to start treating their LDL at a lower level. And we should be giving some consideration if a child has a very high, for example, C-reactive protein. Dr. McGowan, I've heard that you're working on a novel, and it's It's about a young girl named Emily Klein. I hope her name has been changed to protect the innocent. 
I'm wondering how you decided to work on this project and, and tell me a little bit about how the book's going. The book is just about done. I imagine it'll be done in a couple of weeks. I'm working on this with two of my sisters. Both are very good writers, actually better writers than me, so they correct me and tell me what's too medical. But it came from really a wish to address young women who have gained weight. And I see lots and lots of these kids, as well as my partner. I have a partner who's a pediatrician. I'm a trained internist and then did dyslipidemia. But I have lots of kids who have told me about what it feels like to be overweight, what it feels like to be teased, what it feels like to have a cholesterol abnormality, and they have to make dietary changes. It's a cruel world out there. And this book contains not just a, a young woman who needs to lower her cholesterol and who's overweight, but mystery and intrigue, and also a, another young woman who has anorexia. So I think it's, it's really trying to address lots of things that seventh graders are addressing now in, in their life. And hopefully it will make a difference to a lot of kids. Dr. Mary McGowan, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are obviously extremely passionate about the mountain of information you have in trying to help our kids combat the epidemic of obesity and hyperlipidemia. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.